Hi guys, this is Doug Fletcher. Welcome back to What's the Hazard? This is a podcast about workplace safety and health. Um, I have to tell you, uh, on my drive over today, I was I decided not to do any announcements or any observations, but uh, that has changed. On my way over here, I saw some idiots working. I have to tell you, um, one of the groups that I was most concerned about when I was working with OSHA were these landscape companies that work in the medians, work around the roadways, right? You can't drive anywhere, particularly right now in, in you know nice weather in the spring. They're all out in force. Um, you cannot drive through town and not come upon them um, without uh, it, it, it's just such a surprise. They don't they don't build good um, work zones. You know, these guys today, I left my office, I was driving down the road, I came around the corner and immediately, you know, drove up on a dump truck that was right in the middle of the road. They were spreading some mulch. They had one cone out and it was sitting directly below the bumper of the truck, which is absolutely of no value to me as the oncoming traffic. I don't, you know, it doesn't alert you to their presence. You know, you're on top of them before you even realize it. And then what is it? These landscape guys, they all wear camouflage clothes. They're either in browns or greens or something. I mean, they're standing in the mulch, you know, among the, the ferns and uh, between the ferns, I guess. And I, I just drove me crazy. So I didn't want to have to make I didn't want to make any observations because I want to spend time with with Randy here. But, um, man, that just caught me off guard. And, and it's something that um, that concerns me. We need, I think they need to be a little bit better about constructing their work zones setting up a little bit of, uh, you know, preemptive warning, and then a little bit more high visibility would be greatly appreciated. So if you're, if you're listening and your folks work around the roads, work around roadways or, uh, you know, this high vis and um, situational awareness is really important to protecting those employees. So I, I just had, that was in me and it just had to come out. So my guest today, I've been really excited about this. Uh, my guest today is a friend of mine. Uh, we've known each other for quite a few years now, probably. Uh, Randy Stevenson, he's an attorney in town here. He's a labor law attorney. He does a lot of OSHA work. Uh, he's with a company, uh, the firm is Baird Holm, who's a big player here in town. And you are the head of the labor law group, as as I understand, right. are you not? Yeah. Well, thanks for being here, Randy. I appreciate it, man. Oh, my pleasure. Um, you know, as I said, we um, when I was with OSHA, we used to sit across the table from each other on occasion. And we're doing it again, although this time, you know, for a common... For a common good, I think. Um, the reason I asked you to come is uh, one of the interactions that we as safety professionals have is um, an interaction with the uh, regulatory agency. We will occasionally uh, have interactions with OSHA. Uh, we will be called upon to engage with OSHA if we happen to have an inspection or something like that. And it just it just amazes me, even today, how little. Um, most employers know about their rights when they're working with OSHA, you know, uh, during an inspection, maybe during some type of an informal conference, even if we, if it comes to contest, something like that, there, there, there are so, still so many misconceptions about the, their rights and misunderstandings about their rights. And in my experience, if you understand your rights, the, the likelihood of a positive outcome is so much better than if you're just letting uh, the inspection happen if it's just happening to you and you're not really uh, an active participant. So what I'd really like to do today is just talk about, you know, preparing for an OSHA inspection, what, what, what you would recommend. I know you can't give legal advice over the microphone, but you can give some suggestions perhaps. Preparing for an inspection, the conduct, conduct of the inspection, you know, what to be aware of during your inspection, and then even post-inspection. 
what recommendations you might have. So um, I'm going to take a breath now and let you introduce yourself in more detail and tell us about Baird Home and then we just talk about these ocean inspections and how we deal with them. Sounds good, Doug. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Um, so yeah, I've been with Baird Home for 35 years, and uh, that seems remarkable. Yeah, <laughs> it's gone quickly. Uh, You're a prodigy. You got out of law school at 12 or yeah, something. Right. Apparently. Yeah, right. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, yeah, don't stop. Um, and uh, um, I head up our labor and employment and benefits group. We've got 21 lawyers in that group. We've got about 100 in the firm. Um, in our labor and employment benefits group, we have subspecialties of employment defense litigators, um, employee benefits folks, uh, immigration folks who help employers bring uh, employees in from abroad, uh, workers' comp, um, uh, and counseling and compliance folks, and I'm one of those. Okay. Um, and even amongst our counseling compliance folks, we have people who subspecialize. You know, it used to be 20 years ago, being a labor and employment lawyer was pretty specialized. Mm-hmm. In and, and of itself. In and of itself. Right. And now we're getting, you know, people who are deep into OSHA or deep into affirmative action mm-hmm. or, you know, you name it. Um so anyway, we just represent um, employers, mm-hmm. and we've been doing it for almost 150 years. Wow, that's cool. Uh, yeah, so it, it's good. Very cool. And um, I started doing OSHA work not long after I came to the firm. It was just some partner who uh, had a little familiarity, sent me out on a job. and um, Threw you in. Yeah, and reeled me in, and, and uh, there was an inspection going on, and I had no clue. And mm-hmm. the client was looking at me for direction, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm a brand-new lawyer. And uh, uh, so since then, um, I've learned a hard way, kind of through the school of hard knocks and mm-hmm. experience. And I agree with your statement that if you're prepared for an OSHA inspection, you're much more likely to have a positive outcome. And that means... And it's not just prepared for the inspection at that time. It means getting ready ahead of time. Because when OSHA shows up at your doorstep, it's not the time to say, okay, let's figure out how to do this. That that goes badly in my experience. Yeah. So you got to do the planning ahead of time. And I'll talk a little bit about that. And... And then, you know, you know, you have to understand your rights and know how to properly express those rights when dealing with the compliance officer. And compliance officer is, the, is OSHA's term for an inspector. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do that right, and if you do it in a business-like manner um, where the inspector will know that you know what you're talking about, um, they won't react poorly to it. I would um, agree. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you try agree. to, I mean, they're humans like all of us. Mm-hmm. If you try to bully them or you're impolite, mm-hmm. it's not going to go well. I, I couldn't agree more. I, in fact, um, I can remember giving a presentation at the safety council a number of years ago, just on basic OSHA inspections. And I made that comment uh, that, you know, just treat them professionally. Um, and, and typically you will have a good outcome. Uh, don't be confrontational. You know, don't necessarily you know, just start off adversarially. I mean, just, just kind of treat them just as you would any other professional encounter. And I can remember my boss at the time who was in the audience. I was a relatively new compliance assistance specialist at that time. We went back to the office and he told me, you can't say that. He said, uh, they can treat the OSHA compliance officer any way they want to, and they are going to get the same inspection. And I looked at him and he said, 
you can't honestly believe that's true. I mean, I was an inspector for five years and I remember the people that mistreated me, in my opinion, and they got they got the full benefit of all of my training. You know, yeah. I mean, they, they, they you know, so I personally agree with you that there can be a consequence to uh, abusing this compliance officer, you know, so being prepared is critical to a good outcome, I think. So and so um, I want to just mention one thing you uh, on the streets out there, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but you were referred to as the man out on the street. So <laughs> I can you. remember when I was doing informal conferences, Darwin, Craig, and I were the assistant directors at one time in the office. And uh, we typically, uh, the employer will typically submit a list of people that are going to be participating in the informal conference. So you know ahead of time. And we would always check um, if they were bringing an attorney. It was usually pretty funny because they would usually show up with their corporate tax attorney or somebody who knew nothing about OSHA. And he would bark at us a little bit and fumble all over him or herself. And we would end up, you know, with no negotiation. You know, there would be no settlement, really. They'd storm out of there. And when we would see you on the list, and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to butter you up or anything. But when we'd see you on the list, we would typically, oh, shit, they're bringing Randy. Why don't you do this one? Because I knew that you were probably going to bring something in to present as information that I wasn't going to be aware of and I was going to feel like an idiot, you know? So you always did your homework. I appreciated that. You always knew your subject matter, did your homework. You were very pragmatic. You know, if your employer had done something wrong, you didn't come in there and expect to have everything vacated, which was ridiculous, you know? And so that's why I think your reputation is so good in the OSHA office, you know, well-prepared, knowledgeable and reasonable. And, you know, yeah, so. well, I appreciate that, Doug. Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, and that's what employers really need to do. Um, you know, it, it all starts off, you know, we're talking about an inspection, but it starts long before that. I mean, and I mentioned just a while ago, we'll talk about how to prepare for an inspection. But even before how to prepare for an inspection, you've got to make an effort to have a compliant and safe workplace. No doubt. Yeah, it okay. starts there. Because you can be really well prepared for an inspection, which is a lot, and the inspection itself, which is a lot of what we're talking about mm-hmm. today. But if you, you know, if you don't have programs to address the hazards that exist in your workplace, whether it be hazard communication, lockout, tagout, respiratory protection, uh, you name it, then it, it, you're still not going to have a positive right. outcome. Right. You've and, had to have made the effort, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, and sometimes for some clients that I've um, helped, especially those that are starting out, it can be almost overwhelming. You know, where do I start? Um, And a lot of times that's when I'll recommend you, Doug, to help them out. Sure, sure. And there's a lot of resources, too, on OSHA's website. Absolutely, the website, website. excellent. But, you know, I think the, the first thing is figuring out what kinds of hazards do we have here, and then you know, getting that list of hazards and then just figuring out for each one of those, what do we have to do? And that may mean that they need to reach outside for help. And there's a lot of resources, like mm-hmm. I said, on the website, the state uh, Department of Labor Consultation Absolutely. Jim Program. Cover came in, actually. We talked to Jim about the consultation service. Yeah. Not too long. Great resource. Absolutely. Yeah. So assuming that the employer <laughs> right. has, has done all right. that and you're making a you know, the best effort that you can in terms of compliance. Um, and I wouldn't say just compliance. I mean, a lot of clients I run into, um, they're, 
they're going above and beyond what right. may be required in the standards. Mm-hmm. Um, in some areas they're not. In some areas they're not. They say, yeah, but it's still safe. I understand that. Okay, it, it may be, mm-hmm. but it, the standards are still the law, and you know we have to follow that. Right. If we want to go right. above, go for it. Absolutely. So, right. That that is critical. I, I agree. And most most employers uh, that are uh, making a good faith effort. They will know when their hazards require going above and beyond the basics of the regulations in order to make that work safe or safer, certainly. So uh, it may not require that for every hazard. You know, the, the, the basics of the standard may be adequate to address some hazards in your workplace. There will be others that you probably do have to go above and beyond if you truly want to provide a safe workplace. So, you know, that's part of the decision making. But so... Uh, let's, you know, we've done that. We, you know, in good faith, we're making an effort to address our hazards, but it's, it's important to be prepared for that, uh, eventuality where OSHA shows up. Yeah. OSHA shows up. Um, you've got to, you've got to expect that. Mm -hmm. I mean, certainly if there's a fatality or a hospitalization, you know, significant injury, you've got to expect it. You don't know when those things are going to happen. Um, a lot of inspections are driven off of complaints, mm-hmm. um, and those happen. You can't keep mm-hmm. all employees happy, right. and, and um, a lot of times those complaints are not justified, but nevertheless they can result in an inspection. Right. Um, or it could be a programmed inspection where your name just comes mm-hmm. up on the list. Mm-hmm. So I think you need to, to plan on it happening, and to get ready for that, again, you can't wait until – the inspector shows up on the doorstep. You got to get ready ahead of time. So what what should you do? We'll figure out first of all who is first of all really who will first interact with that inspector. Mm-hmm. If it is a manufacturing facility, for example, the inspector's not going to go, you know, th- through a loading dock door and in the back way. They're going to go through the front door, right. which is meant for visitors to the facility they're going to interact with someone probably an administrative person in the office Mm -hmm. and that person this sounds simple but that person needs to know who to contact right if osha or anybody from the government shows up somebody Mm -hmm. from epa somebody from the sheriff's office who has uh, warrants or a summons to serve on Mm -hmm. someone who do we contact so for osha particularly that person needs to know who to contact. And I think it's good for the employer to designate what I call a walk around team. Why do I call it a walk around team? As we'll talk about one of the phases of the inspection is the walk around. Um, and that team, it j- shouldn't be one person and it shouldn't be a cast of thousands. Either. Right. Um, it should typically be, you know, whoever's in charge of safety for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it a lot. If, if you have a maintenance department, if the head of your maintenance department is on that team. Right, I agree. Um, and frankly, that that could be enough right there. I mean, keep in mind that for an inspector to be, what the inspector is there for is to gather evidence of apparent violations. Mm-hmm. They're not there to be your friend, uh, to take confession. <laughs> right, no doubt, absolutely. <laughs> and... So, you know, the more cooks you get in the kitchen from the employer side when there's an, when there's an inspection, the greater the chance of something going south. Somebody yeah. saying something that leads the inspector 
um, into a new direction that you really didn't want him or her to go. So, so really, you know, a couple of people would be good, and those people should be equipped for the inspection process. Um, what do I mean by equipped? Well, keep in mind the inspector is there to gather evidence. He or she will do that by taking photographs, um, video recording, maybe taking samples, mm-hmm. things of that mm-hmm. nature. You as the employer should be prepared to gather that same evidence mm-hmm. at the same time. Right. So side-by-side type of photographs, those kind of things. Side-by-side, yeah. An example I always give um, is uh, one of my clients was cited for exposed electrical wiring on a hot water heater. Mm-hmm. And there was a photo that OSHA had taken, and it showed the cover plate on the hot water heater was off, and all these wires were out, and it just looked nasty. Mm-hmm. And, oh, my God, ex- exposed wires. Right. And thankfully, my client took a photo at the same time, which showed the inspector taking the photo of the water tank, but also showed on the wall just a couple of feet away from the hot water tank was the electrical box Mm -hmm. that was shut off. Oh, really? So de-energized that? De-energized. And um, I remember on that one, we didn't get it settled locally. For some reason, I ended up actually going down to the regional office, Mm -hmm. showed that photograph, and there was no discussion at all. (laughs) Absolute silence, probably. Just withdraw. We'll take it back. Yeah, good, good. But you're right. Yeah, and... and, um, you know, in my experience, the OSHA compliance officers are really focused in on that um, violative condition when they're taking their photograph. They don't always get a lot of background or a lot of context in that picture. Sometimes we didn't want a lot of context in the picture because, you know, frankly, that led down a path you may not want to follow. So, uh, but that's, I think that's really important. And a lot of, a lot of employers don't take those photographs. And then, Gosh, as you know, they, they have six months. The OSHA office has basically six months to resolve this this inspection or this investigation. And by the time, you know, you're involved and they're in a, maybe an informal conference five months later, they don't even remember what those conditions were. They don't even, if they don't have any evidence of their own, it can be very um, confusing. So I think that's really valuable to have. Yeah, Absolutely. And particularly for you, when they bring you in, you know, if you have, you've not accompanied, typically, I, I would suspect you don't typically walk with the compliance officer. Typically so not. you need to see that stuff. Right. Yeah. And photographs and video are just invaluable mm-hmm. to me Right. Um, later on to see what yeah. exactly it looked like. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, there's, it wasn't anything nefarious on the part of the inspector. Mm-hmm. It's just I think he was oblivious sure. to the fact that this really was not <laughs> it was, a hazard. It was just de-energized. Yeah, of right. course. Um, so besides the, the walk-around team, you know, having the necessary equipment like a camera, mm-hmm. um, you know, and some people say, well, cell phones. Yeah, cell phones, camera, cameras are good, but sometimes it may be that um, we want a higher resolution or we want some video. Mm-hmm. Sometimes... Although some cam, some phones now are just yeah, as probably. good as anything out there, um, but even just a basic camera um, would be great to have. Um, if and I think somebody on the walk around team ought to take copious notes about where did we go, what was looked at, um, and the inspector has the right to question employees mm-hmm. who is questioned. Right, and we'll talk right. more about questioning yeah. of employees but really kind of a whole narrative of what happened. 
And the other thing is, too, and I'm jumping ahead, going back, when OSHA arrives and the, the walk-around team interacts with the compliance officer, uh, I think it's good to find out why are you here. Mm-hmm, no doubt. You know, if it's a complaint, you've got the right to see the complaint. You mm-hmm. didn't have the right to see who complained. And, in fact, the OSHA inspector doesn't even know who Typically complained. Typically doesn't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just that this is a complaint. And, right. But if you look at that complaint and there's a complaint about, you know, some particular machine or some process and the inspector is indicating that, you know, he or she wants to go through the whole place, um, I would suggest saying no. I mean, this is what's being complained Mm -hmm. about. Exactly. Let's, you know, we'll consent if you go look at this one area, Mm -hmm. which leads to another point about warrants Mm -hmm. because um, employers do have the right and this is from a case back in 1972 or 1974, Marshall versus Barlow's, where the law was written, originally written that OSHA could show up, and if you didn't let them in, that was a fine right there, a citation. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And this case goes all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court says, hey, the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution on searches and seizures protects businesses as well as individuals. In fact, the genesis of the Fourth Amendment was for businesses because in colonial days, the British would come in and do an inventory of businesses and tax them on that basis. Oh, no doubt. So the Supreme Court says, yeah, Fourth Amendment protects businesses. So if you don't consent to let OSHA in on a voluntary basis, OSHA has to get a search warrant. Mm -hmm. Now, it's a little bit different because it's, it's called an administrative search warrant, and OSHA needs to show administrative probable cause. Great. What does all that mean? There's no clear definition, but it's not as heightened as criminal mm-hmm. probable sure. cause and a criminal search warrant. Right. Um, so employers do have the right to turn OSHA away unless, say, the inspector has a search warrant. Should, that, should an employer do that? Typically, no, is my recommendation. Um, there was a study, and this is got to be 20 plus years ago, um, where employers who required a warrant on average, the study concluded, got twice as many citations and the average penalty was twice the, uh, the penalty of those businesses that did not require a warrant, which... That doesn't surprise me. doesn't surprise yeah, me that, either. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, you kind of understand that because... Um, you know, if you're going to make them jump through all the mm-hmm. hoops, they're going to come back and go through with a fine tooth comb. Right. Well, yeah. and and for one thing, I mean, um, and and I, I remember, I mean, when I was a compliance officer in the uh, late '90s, early 2000s, we got denied fairly regularly. It was fairly routine, and um, but it, it kind of heightens the level of scrutiny of that case. If we've had, as you said, you go through the you know, the process of applying for the warrant, you go down and test, you know, you're basically swearing in front of the magistrate that everything's copacetic in that warrant request. You go back, serve the warrant, and, you know, everyone is looking more closely at that inspection. So it may be subconscious, but as a compliance officer, undoubtedly you are paying more attention. You are more focused on that that inspection. So that doesn't surprise me a bit. Now, it's probably not malicious, and uh, I had lots of people deny me entry very courteously. You know, I'm sorry, Doug. It's our policy to require a warrant. Absolutely, no problem. 
But even subconsciously, I'll bet you're looking more closely under those circumstances. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the times where I've advised clients to exercise the right to a warrant is when they've told me, we got some bad situation here mm-hmm. and we need a little time to fix mm-hmm. it. Sure. Uh, because that warrant is not going to come quickly unless yeah. OSHA believes there's some imminent danger right. and they can fast track it. But it's it's probably going to be, I would think, at least a couple of weeks. Yeah, typically. That was my experience. So, yeah. uh, and the other times um, when I've told them to get a warrant is essentially when the people on the walk-around team are gone and not available. Mm-hmm. And, the ones that you've already predetermined you want on that right. walk-around. And, um, and sometimes I've had those clients say, our guy's not here. He can be here tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I've had OSHA say that's fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, they're not going to get a warrant in that period right. of time. Um, and I've had OSHA say, well, fine, we'll go get a warrant. Mm-hmm. But at least if they say we'll go get a warrant, at least they're, they know that, look, we, you know, people they interact with, I'd like to let you in, but the people who need to be here, right. we're trying to be cooperative, are not here. Right. Yeah. I think that's absolutely legitimate. And I think, you, you know, I think you've touched on, you know, in that opening conference when all this is being discussed, it really is a bit of a negotiation. The employer does have a little bit of leverage, even though it seems like it's, you know, it's OSHA's inspection and the compliance officer typically at least feels like they dictate most of that. But, the, but it is a negotiation. If, if it doesn't work that day, I, I would always recommend just try to negotiate another time rather than just outright denying entry. Right. I think that always... Right goes better. Yeah. And if you got a credible reason for it, absolutely. Give it to them. Absolutely. Yeah. I like that. So we've got a, we've got a basically a, a call list developed. We've got a walk around team that we've, that we've put together. I agree with man that I can remember walking a few times with huge groups of people, this entourage of, you know, the company representatives walking around one guy stops and 12 people ram into each other. You know, I mean, it was just a <laughs> total disaster, but, um, yeah, one or two, three people maybe that can make some decisions that can give the compliance officer some information about what they're looking at, you know, to help clarify things. I mean, it was always really um, beneficial to me if I was accompanied by someone who could explain stuff to me, you know, because chances are good the compliance officer has not been in a similar environment, maybe. You know, they don't really know what they're looking at. And mm-hmm. um, so to have somebody who understands the process and the safety program, you know, how they interact. Exactly. Really helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, and the people on the walk around team should be people who, like you said, know the safety programs, know the environment. That's why I like the safety person, maybe mm-hmm. an ops manager, main, head of maintenance. Um, and what I always tell those folks is if you're going to be with the OSHA inspector, you don't have to be mom. You don't have to keep your mouth shut. But if you open your mouth, you better be darn sure that you're right, and it's going to help. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's If exactly it's not right. going to help, don't open your mouth. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, say, I don't know. I mean, keep in mind, the inspectors are to gather evidence to support a citation. If you don't know, the inspector doesn't know, right. and there's that's not information advice. to support mm-hmm. a citation. Yeah, that's good advice. Yeah, and, and uh, I think a lot of people, particularly the ones that are not prepared, tend to over-talk. You know, if, if OSHA's visit is a surprise and it takes you off guard and now you're scrambling, the tendency was always to overtalk and just say too much, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And so that preparation, I think, calms a little bit of that anxiety, perhaps, or at least you know you have a process to follow if they do show up. 
and the likelihood of somebody just spinning out of control is much less than if you're not prepared. Right, yeah. You know, before, like I said, it's not a confessional. And, you know, I've had clients where, for some reason, they think that if they throw the compliance officer a bone, he or she <laughs> right. will leave. <laughs> right, right. So they'll, they'll affirmatively, proactively point out something. Yeah. We know, I know you didn't see this, but come over here and look at this. Right. <laughs> yeah. I've had that happen. Yeah, you think this is bad, come over here and look at that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. I know, yeah, don't, don't help yourself too much. Right, right. I know, that's funny. Um, you know, the other thing, too, is, um, again, stay with the inspector the whole time during the inspection. Don't let him or her wander yeah, off right. on their own throughout the facility. It's your facility. You've consented to their presence there 99% of the time unless it's a warrant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and like you said, you've agreed upon what the scope is. Um, so, for example, you know, if it's some particular machine and some manufacturing facility and that machine is at the very back of the facility and there's a back door to the facility, take the inspector out the building, walk him or her around and in that back door. Why? Because if you traipse the inspector all the way through the middle of the facility, even though you've agreed just to look at that particular machine or process that's in the back, Mm -hmm. if the inspector sees something that's in plain view he or she can stop and, and ask questions, gather evidence, and cite you for it. You can say, well, hey, why? Because we agreed that you'd only look at that machine in the back. But again, it's the plain view doctrine. It's the same for all law enforcement agencies. I always use this example. You know, If you call the police because your neighbor's playing their music too loud and the police come to your door and you open your door and the police officer's talking to you and he sees over your shoulder all these grow lights and pots full of marijuana. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, whoops. It's in plain view. Yes, exactly. And they have an obligation to address it ultimately. Right. I mean, yeah, the same is true. And the plain view, um, I will say that the plain view doctrine isn't always well understood. So, you know, we have compliance officers that are brand new all the way to, you know, 20, 30 year journeymen, journey persons. And, you know, some of them don't really understand these rules particularly well, which is why I think it's so important that the employer does because the compliance officer doesn't always understand what specific rights the employer has and not exactly how this is supposed to work. And plain view is one of those. Some compliance officers believe plain view is just a license to wander around and look at stuff, mm. which it absolutely is not. No. Um, so in route from point A to point B to look at that specific item that you've agreed to in the opening conference, um, we don't really want them to wander. I mean, again, if they see a, a, a plain view hazard that is immediately apparent from where they're walking. So, for example, I'm walking through the plant and I look over and I see you have a, you have a press break. Well, that doesn't mean you have a hazard. You have a piece of equipment, and that is not licensed to go over there and start poking around. But now I see an employee who is standing on top of your press brake from where I'm walking. I can see there's a fall hazard or something like that. You know, that would be reasonable for me to go over there and investigate that. But, you know, some compliance officers just like to start wandering, and, and at, at some point you kind of have to rein them in, I think, don't you? I mean, right, sure. It's your workplace and just say, hey. you got to say something to them? Know, or? You don't go over there. That's not part of the inspection. Right. I mean, and, I mean, um, is, there, is there a point at which um, 
You know, I mean, obviously, we you, you can deny entry during that opening conference if you felt that was appropriate. Can you, you can at do, any time during the inspection? Yeah, or you can. If it starts to come off the rails a little yeah, bit? Yeah, you can or? withdraw consent. Okay. Um, you know, some employers say, oh, well, instead of withdrawing consent, I'll let them just go around, and then I'll make the argument later that, you know, the this was discovered beyond the scope of the agreed-upon inspection. Mm-hmm. The fact is, though, it's your workplace, and if you're there and you know he's wandering – and you're not telling him or her to don't do that and don't go there, you've essentially impliedly given consent right, for right, him or yeah. her to be there. And I think I think that happens, again, when employers really are not comfortable with their rights. They really don't understand that. And so they acquiesce a lot more easily or readily, perhaps. You know, I can tell you from my experience, the employers that knew their rights or you know had legal counsel that had briefed them on those things – they were much, I was much less likely to try to stretch things with them. You know, it was obvious yeah. that they understood and we just stuck to the, stuck to the agreement, you know, the rules. And, and I have to admit, I mean, there were times when employers just, just were not um, going to stand up for themselves. And so you kind of take a little bit more perhaps, sure. you know, take some light. I think that's natural. I don't think that's necessarily malicious on the part of the compliance officers it's just kind of natural and so again you know that 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 preparation is really critical yeah um one thing too i want to mention during the inspection i think a lot of times the inspector you know will say and i'm sure you did this doug that's a problem for this reason mm -hmm. and employers are kind of like well do i admit that it's a problem do i fix it do i not Mm -hmm. I think if it's something that can be easily abated, fixed right on the spot or soon, go ahead and do it. That's not in and of itself an admission of a violation. And if you want to put use a belt and suspenders, you can either you can even say to the inspector, you know, I'm not sure that's a violation, or I don't think it's a violation. But you know what? What you're saying makes sense, or it won't hurt. So we'll go ahead and do it. Like taking the damaged uh, extension cord out of service when you're walking through the construction site or whatever. Right. It, it, well, that's important because I, I, I don't think it's – it's certainly not to their benefit to admit to anything during the course of that inspection, I wouldn't think. But if something is – let's face it, a lot of times – well, never admit, but a lot of times we know, yeah, that's a violation. Probably, right. And to just say, okay, well, we don't think so. Well, come mm-hmm. on. I mean, we, we know it's a problem. Just don't admit it. Say so we'll fix it. Yeah. Okay. Because what I if, think if you don't, then the inspector's like, well, gosh, you know. <laughs> they don't care at all. You don't care at all. You won't even fix that. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and that does have an impact on them too. Again, yeah. you know, I mean, it's oftentimes the, the issuance of the citation is somewhat subjective. And, <clears throat> you know, some of the journey level compliance officers might just, you know, ask you to correct something without an in, the intention of citing it. And, man, anything that we can do to – you know, move them down that road is worth doing. So if it means pulling that cord out or, or correcting whatever that is, you know, chaining up that cylinder, whatever it happens to be, right, it's probably worth doing. What about what about documentation, document control? I know when I was an inspector and I would ask for documents, people would do everything from hand me their entire safety manual to um, you know three or four people are running back and forth just handing me copies of stuff. 
just totally out of control. I just always thought that was yeah, that's not good. You know, I've had a lot of clients who've ended up really not sure what they gave exactly the inspector, um, which you know is bad because sometimes there's things that you know programs we've got that we thought were given that weren't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I think what my suggestion is to ask the inspector to put the document requests in writing. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. And that way, you know, we can um, just basically you know, check them off as check we're them off, providing. get them together. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully by the end of the walk around, have them compiled maybe in a conference room mm-hmm. uh, where the inspector can go and, and look at them rather than this, you know, fire drill thing running back and forth with mm-hmm. documents. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you give them copies? I mean, or do you just allow them to view them at the time while they're on site? Yeah. Or am I giving them copies? I know that I, I've always wondered about that because really the only thing that you were compelled to provide within the time frame is the, the 300, 300 logs. logs. You have a four-hour window to provide those. But the other documents, you give them an opportunity to view those, and they take a few notes, and then uh, they say, well, send me a copy of it. Do you really do you send them the copy of it? or? Yeah, I Usually, we typically recommend sending that stuff along at some point. Yeah, because my concern is if we don't provide copies, that either one, if OSHA really wants it, they can subpoena those. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and number two, just to keep it cooperative, mm-hmm. if it's um, something that there's concern that hey, this is confidential or whatever, I'll tell the client to mark it okay. that way. Um, and then, um, you know, certainly, it, well. Trade secrets, I'd be really, I mean, that's one where we probably would not unless we had some specific agreement ahead of time about how those trade secrets mm-hmm. were going to be protected. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, we provide copies of the documents. Okay. Now, a lot of times, especially when there's been a fatality, there's going to be a Freedom of Information Act request after the whole OSHA case is done mm-hmm. by some third party, usually somebody looking to bring a right. tort lawsuit. And at that time, OSHA will say to the employer, hey, we've got this Freedom of Information Act request. We are planning on providing these documents, and they'll usually give you copies of the documents or if there's a lot of CD of the documents. Mm -hmm. Do you have any objection to us turning these over to a member of the public who's made a Freedom of Information request? At that time, the employer can make objections. Typically, if there's some good reason that the employer can raise OSHA will refuse to release that information to a FOIA okay, request. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I knew I, when I was, when I was a compliance officer, uh, one of the things I didn't ask for a lot of paper because I had to number the pages in my case file and uh, man, you get enough manuals and programs and stuff crammed in your case file and you're literally numbering thousands of pages, and that was a giant pain in the ass. So, yeah. frankly, if I didn't need the document, I rarely requested it. If it was critical to the, you know, the investigation or the inspection, yeah. you'd have to have it. But I, I tried not to over-request. Right, know. right. But I do know people would just occasionally just hand me the safety manual if I'd asked for the HASCOM program, for example. And that kind of gives me carte blanche to just start perusing through their other programs and i'm not sure that's a great idea no it's it's not because yeah they may have other programs in there that are deficient that you otherwise would not have asked for and would not have seen Mm -hmm. it's kind of that uh, give them what they ask for answer the questions they've asked if you if you have more information that's going to be beneficial by all means 
but just yeah just the facts ma'am just (laughs) Just the facts exactly (laughs) you know as i always tell witnesses if they ask you what time it is don't tell them how to build a clock exactly you know yeah no doubt the uh which is a segue into another important thing and that is uh interviews of employees oh yeah during an mm-hmm. inspection, so the, the inspector can privately question, has the right by law to privately question employees. Mm-hmm. Um, with regard to management, uh, management has the absolute right to have a company representative with them, whether it's a lawyer or somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, but employees have, it's really, when we say OSHA has the right to privately question, it's really better stated that employees have the right to be privately questioned by OSHA. Okay. That's a slight difference. Mm-hmm, it is. Because what it, when, when someone says OSHA has the right to privately question, it makes it sound like the employee doesn't have the right to have a representative. Yeah, it does. It's Which really not the case. It's not the case. It's really the employee's decision whether he or she will be privately okay. questioned by OSHA. Oh, interesting. Which okay. means that the employee can have a representative whether it be the company safety director, the company's lawyer, um, another employee, a union steward mm-hmm. with them. And that's absolutely um, copacetic. I know that always made the made us uncomfortable as OSHA yep. when they were asking to have maybe a company representative present or certainly the company's counsel present. That always made us a little uh, anxious. Right. And we would try to quash that if we could, or we'd say something to the effect, well, you can't do that. I mean, we absolutely didn't know that probably, you know. Right, but we it's just, the employee's call. Okay. You know, a lot of times, I mean, if I were the ocean inspector, what I'd say is, is this really your decision? And, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the only issue is the employee being arm twisted into mm-hmm. having the company representative there. Gotcha. Um, but, yeah, that's that's – important for employees to know that it the other is. thing about employee interviews is i think it's good to prep employees usually you'll find out um from the inspector you know who they you know who do you want to talk to and they'll give you names or they'll say i don't care just somebody on this mm-hmm. shift that mm-hmm. works on that line exactly or yep. whatever okay well if that's the case pick your smartest folks <laughs> right <laughs> right right somebody who got a big bonus last year because and the other thing is prep them before they talk to the inspector. Because let's say, for example, that there's been some incident, someone was injured. The employee thinks, well, all they're going to ask me about is that incident. Mm-hmm. But as you know, Doug, that's often not the case. They'll ask about right. that incident, but sure. then they'll ask about, well, you know, have you been trained in lockout tagout? And the employee will look at them and on is you know. You can put the employee on a lie detector, and the person will say, I have no idea what you're talking right. about. <laughs> Pass the detector test. and Right. When, in fact, the employee had been trained on lockout, tagout, mm-hmm. maybe it wasn't called that. Maybe it was control of hazardous energy, right. whatever. You know. So I think it's good to tell the employee ahead of time, you may be asked about the types of training you've had. Mm-hmm. Let's go through a refresher. Here's our training records mm-hmm. on these different things. So, and that can be a five minute thing. Oh yeah. I remember that now I'd forgotten about it. You know, go over that. Perfectly Um, acceptable to do that, review that stuff. Absolutely. Um, Perfectly acceptable to say to the employee, it's up to you whether you want to be interviewed Mm -hmm. and you can be interviewed privately where you've got the right to have anyone with you. Mm -hmm. Um, And if, by the way, a lot of times, when the employee wants to have a company representative, the inspector will say, well, I'm just not going to interview this person. 
great. Okay, right. <laughs> yeah, that's terrific. Absolutely. You know, because now OSHA's not getting information. Right. Um, so, so let the employee know, you know, those mm-hmm. rights. The other thing, impress upon the employee, don't guess about anything. Don't speculate about anything. Don't go on, you know, hearsay or gossip that you've heard, especially right. with regard to incidents. Mm-hmm. Only tell them what you know. And the other thing is tell the truth by all means. Right. You know, because everything that you tell that employee in prepping them, you, in fact, when you prep them, imagine that the OSHA inspector is just sitting right there. You're mm-hmm. not going to say anything to that employee that you wouldn't say in the presence right in of the OSHA inspector. Oh, that's great advice. Yeah, I agree. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to tell them, you know, it's it's up to you whether you want to be interviewed. It doesn't matter to us. You're not going to be mm-hmm. subject to retaliation by any means one way or the other. But there's some important things. Don't guess. Answer the question asked. Mm-hmm. Be truthful. Right. That's a good one to conclude on. I've heard you talk about this before. And uh, typically, when you conclude that briefing with the employee, you just you just reaffirm that they just need to be truthful, um, you know, and uh, answer to the best of their ability. And that's typically what they recount. Because if the OSHA person asks them, "Have you have, has your employer talked to you about this interview? Yeah, they told me to be truthful. I mean, I mean, that's really ultimately mm-hmm. what we want of them. But we do... I, I can tell you on many occasions the employees had this uh, short-term amnesia. They just didn't remember anything. You'd bring up training and things like that, and they just didn't remember. And I yeah. don't know if it was the pressure of the moment. Uh, I doubt that they were intentionally trying to you know, misrepresent things, although that's not out of the question. But it probably wasn't intentional. They just, I mean, it's tough to be interviewed by a government representative uh, when a you feel like government law enforcement. Official. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's very difficult and very stressful. Who shows their credentials. Exactly. And, and starts yeah. recording. What about yeah. that? What about the recording? element? Yeah, it's of absolutely up to the employee, whether he or she will allow recording. Okay. Whether it's audio. They'd have to consent video. to that. Yeah. At the beginning of the, the employee interview. has to consent and it's up to the employee, whether he or she signs any statement. Okay. And I think I'd let them know that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, you, it's your right not to be recorded. It's your right not to sign a statement. Okay. It's your right not to answer any question you don't want to. Right. Um, if you do decide to sign a statement, please read it carefully and make sure it's accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by the way, you can condition signing the statement on getting a copy of it from the ocean inspector. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's good. I, I, I do think, man, having particularly for management representatives, having another person present, is important. You're speaking on behalf of the company. Um, again, OSHA is just listening and writing down, and, and and they can be predisposed to hearing things a certain way. I mean, there's this old legend about one of the old OSHA compliance officers in Omaha. He was a little bit hard of hearing. You may remember him. I won't mention him by name. He, he was just departing when I arrived back in the mid-'90s. But... Uh, he was hard of hearing, so he'd ask a question about your training, and they would respond. Then he'd say, so you ain't been trained, and he'd start writing that down. And they, they were absolutely like, no, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> and, that, you know, what the hell is this guy? You know, I mean, I, I think just having a second person present eliminates some of that confusion, you know. Exactly. And, you know, I mean. Yeah, definitely when anyone who is a supervisor or in management is interviewed by OSHA, 
um, they need to have another representative with them, whether it's a safety director. Certainly if there's an injury or it's a fatality situation, have legal counsel who's Mm well-versed in OSHA with them. Well, that's that's my advice. I I get phone calls occasionally from uh, companies who've sustained a fatality. They've had a fatality on their project or their site or a serious injury, and they're calling, uh, looking for assistance. And my first piece of advice is, have you, have, you, have you spoken with your legal counsel? Or if you don't have one, here's Randy's phone number. You need to speak to counsel before we do anything together. And, um, you know, I just there's just a lot involved in a fatality investigation or, you know, if you have some kind of a catastrophe or something. So Yeah, yeah even if, and again, I would stress, legal counsel who knows about ocean there aren't many of those but even in a fatality situation if you don't have time to find a quote osha lawyer contact your general legal counsel because that legal counsel then if you're getting involved doug can give you the direction to start the investigation and then whatever's discovered by the investigation can be protected by the what we call the work product rule which Mm -hmm. is kind of like the attorney client privilege because it's done at the direction of an attorney in anticipation of litigation. Uh, okay. And that way, if there's something that, that turns up um, that we don't want disclosed, we can keep it um, from disclosure. But if you just, boom, go out there and start the investigation. And the other thing, too, is so many times, and even in fatality investigations, I see the safety people you know, do their investigation immediately and make all sorts of damaging admissions because f- people feel bad after fatality. What's the no root doubt. cause? We must not have trained this guy well enough. Right, right. Well, did you train him? Yeah. You know, we, you know, we train mm-hmm. him every other year on this, you know, mm-hmm. even though we didn't have to, but it must, it must be our fault. Boy, those are damaging when you get into litigation. Yeah, no doubt. Into the, in their internal incident investigations right. and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Well, so um, any advice? Uh, so at the conclusion of this inspection, you know, the document review, the interviews, the walk around, there is typically a closing conference. Sometimes that's done on site. You know, that, that tends to be more uh, in the manufacturing sector. They will do a closing conference on site. In the, uh, sometimes they will just do that at a later date. They will just call you and do a closing. Is there anything that you need to do during this closing conference as the employer or no, just, just take a, notes and pay take, attention? Take notes, be a sponge. Um, during the closing conference, the compliance officer will say what the apparent violations right. are. He or she doesn't have the authority, so that's why they say the right. apparent. Mm-hmm. It's, this is what will probably be issued. If you've got any uh, exculpatory information, anything that you can give the inspector at that time or shortly after before a, a citation is issued, do so. I always think it's easier to prevent a citation from being issued than having it issued and then trying to get it withdrawn. So if they say, hey, you know, you didn't have machine-specific lockout tag out for that particular machine, mm-hmm. you know, and you know that you do, you can say during the closing conference, time out you know we do maybe we missed that here it is right right oh that's great advice yeah because that that's not uncommon and as you said once that citation is issued it's much more difficult to get that vacated or altered uh if you if you can head it off at the pass that's much better yeah so then i mean it's a waiting game you wait and within six months from the inspection you'll know 
whether you're being cited or not, (laughs) (laughs) because that's the the time. Do your clients call you all the time? I haven't heard from OSHA yet. haven't heard from OSHA. And you're just like, Hey, yeah, give them time. It is what it is. They got six months. Yeah. Especially, you know, with fatalities, those, Mm -hmm. I think those go up to Washington for a significant number of reviews. Certainly. Yeah. So it it can be the full six months. So once you get the citation, you need to act quickly because you've got 15 government working days to have an informal conference and either settle it with OSHA or file a notice of contest that sends it into litigation. Mm-hmm. If you don't do either of those two things after 15 government working days, that citation becomes a final non-appealable order and you are stuck with it. Yeah, you're done. So you recommend the informal conference typically? Absolutely. I recommend it. Mm-hmm. I, I go to those all the time with clients. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, even if it's a fatality and I'm pretty sure it's not going to get settled, it's a chance for free discovery. I'll say oh, to OSHA, you know, what do you have? Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, why are you asking? Well, because you're going to have to prove the case, OSHA. Right. And right. if you can't tell me now what you've got to prove the case, then we might as well go ahead and, and litigate it mm-hmm. because you won't win. Right. So a lot of times OSHA will show its cards. And, and if they show the right cards, it's an opportunity for me to say to my client, we need to get out of this. Mm-hmm. We need to find a way to settle this. Yeah, because we're going to lose. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because I, I, typically, from my perspective, the informal conference was just simply a negotiation to try to reclassify or uh, you know, reduce penalties or something, but to gain an insight into what evidence they have if, if it doesn't go to, to trial. That's interesting. That's a lawyer's approach as opposed to a safety guy's approach, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. Interesting. And, and, you know, a lot of times, uh, I mean – much more often than not, you can get a, a good resolution at the informal conference. Mm-hmm. But you've got to go in prepared and letting OSHA know that you're prepared to litigate. Right. If you go in and say, well, we're not going to contest, but well, right there, you've <laughs> right. lost <laughs> right. You, you've lost your bargaining yeah, leverage. Yeah, so let me I'll bend over <laughs> here and then uh, we'll just proceed. Right. Exactly. And, th- and that was oftentimes the case. And unfortunately, that has a you know it's it, it's more common with a small employer who perhaps doesn't have legal counsel and he just comes in throws himself at the mercy of the assistant director or the area director and you know there may not be much mercy offered you right. know if they know that you're not prepared to contest you yeah. know so that and um, you know that is leverage you know as a former AAD I know that's leverage if I believe that you're willing and perhaps interested in contesting, I'm probably more likely to negotiate or try to find that settlement agreement. You know, that's, that's just the way it is, unfortunately. Yeah. And you need to go into the informal conference too, even if you know that you're not going to contest, um, you need to figure out what your objectives are. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you've got a fatality you want to do two things. Number one, you want to get a settlement with a non-admission clause Mm -hmm. that even though you're settling OSHA and you recognize that you're not admitting that you've violated um, the OSH Act or its its regulations. Mm -hmm. And you probably can even change. A lot of times the citation will come out and, and it'll say employer in what's called the alleged violation description, employer did something which resulted in the employee's fatality. Okay, that's not good language. And mm-hmm. you can bargain to get that changed. Mm-hmm. I remember. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so those are the things you're looking at. And, and in addition to um, 
classification, whether it's serious, other than serious, penalty amount. A lot of times, employers will recognize the penalty amount is kind of the last consideration. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes it may be what OSHA is suggesting for abatement that may cost you millions of dollars. Absolutely. You know, well, it's only a $5,000 penalty, you know. Well, yeah, but if we settle that, we've got to abate, and that changes the way our manufacturing process right. happens. All over the country, perhaps. It yeah. may affect every one of your locations. Right. Or that is a great point because I think people were oftentimes quick to – you know, they t- take a thousand dollar penalty reduction and agree to to settle without consideration for what that abatement really involved. Uh, that was dangerous. I was always, yeah, that's interesting that you say that because that can really have tremendous impact on your operation. You yeah, know, if exactly. OSHA's prescribing what the abatement must be, which they probably shouldn't be doing, they should, you know. But sometimes it's that's the discussion. What about the enhanced settlement provisions? You know, that was something that we did fairly. Routinely in Omaha, we would negotiate the the merits of the citations and those elements, and then we would propose, you know, in exchange for some consideration, you know, we would, you know, if if the employer agreed to these enhanced provisions, you know, that might be any number of things outside of the scope of the actual inspection. You yeah. okay with those things? Or? Yeah, I'm okay with those things. Uh, I always would call them uh, the payola approach, you know. Right, <laughs> that, exactly. That, you know, hey – you know, get rid of this and, and we'll do X with all of our employees. I remember one time we had like some, well, the company had like a summer picnic for the families Mm -hmm. and everything. And we had to do like a 20 minute home electrical safety presentation uh, right. <laughs> at the company picnic. Right. And that for, was part of the agreement. For all the family members. Right. And that was, that was written into the settlement yep. agreement. I remember, know? man, we used to do a lot of the picnic. That was kind of Bonita's. Um, she, she enjoyed the, the, <laughs> Get the whole the, family. The picnic, the picnic provision, as we used to call it. You know? <laughs> but um, the, uh, some of them are reasonable. I think the same consideration, as you said earlier, um, if that provision is going to be way above and beyond the cost of the, just a, the settlement, you might want to rec- you might want to consider at least what you're agreeing to. There are a lot of considerations, though, Doug. I mean, I've had you know one client in the construction industry who essentially had to put on training for all of its much smaller competitors, mm-hmm. but it wanted that citation gone because in the construction industry, a lot of owners right look at the OSHA safety records. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. it was it it was worth it for them to do that. And, but you know, one thing I'll say about enhanced um, abatement is a lot of clients will say, look, what could I do to really make a good impact with this penalty money? Mm-hmm. And we can make the pitch to OSHA, take this away. You got a weak case. And instead of us paying 12000 to you, here's what we're going to do with that 12000 to make our workplace safer. Right. Which you would think they would be all in favor of, typically. I mean, the money just disappears into the treasury. Right. You know, I mean, it's never to be seen again or heard from again, you know. So why not keep it local? Why not roll it back into some kind of a... And make it a win-win for everybody. Absolutely. I think that's a great negotiating chip, frankly. And that was one I was always sympathetic to. I like that idea, you know. It made perfect sense to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Um, and then contest, I mean, do you occasionally contest? I mean, obviously, you yeah. have to say that you do because it's, yeah, no, I've, you know, that I've is got one of our, part of our leverage. But Yeah, I've got 
six cases right now under contest around the country. Is yeah. it, is it, it's an interesting process. I mean, how does that work? Oh, you know, it's. Are you now you're sitting in front of an administrative law judge it, it's, trying yeah, to Yeah, it's argue litigation. These? I okay. mean, we contest, OSHA files a complaint, we file an answer, we have discovery, it ends up in a trial. Mm-hmm. Um, but like most litigation in civil courts, most of the cases settle. I would venture to say 99% of the cases settle. Okay. And and sometimes you really need to contest because if you've got a technical legal argument, mm-hmm. when you're at the informal conference, the area director or assistant area director may not appreciate that mm-hmm. legal argument Agreed. and yeah. may readily admit. And I've even had some say, you know, you may be right on this. Go ahead and contest because at that point, once the citation is contested, OSHA is represented by lawyers from the U.S. Department of Labor Solicitor's Office. That lawyer will look at it and say, "Yeah, legally, we got a we got a problem here." Right, and then right. the case settles. Yeah, we were typically at the area office level more interested in the technical merits of the of the uh, citation rather than those legal aspects. And again, I would much prefer the solicitor to discuss that with the uh, client's attorney than me trying to hash through that. So, right. And then if, if you do contest, so for example, you have run up on the end of your 15 day period and you're in your informal conference and you've decided that we're just not going to reach a settlement. So we contest. Uh, what happens? Do you, is there time after that, the filing of that letter of contest then? I mean, it's just a continuous negotiation, is it not? Right up to the point of the trial, or do they go into? Do you go to trial immediately, or how does that work? No, no, it's it's litigation. It's slow. I okay. mean, it's probably <laughs> right. a year. The wheels of justice. Yeah, exactly. It's probably a year or two until okay. trial. So you file the employer files the notice of contest, which is just a very brief, like one paragraph letter saying mm-hmm. we can test. And at that point, um, then the. Um, Department of Labor has 30 days to file a complaint. Then the employer has 20 days to file a response. Um, And typically each side asks for an extension. So right there now we're out to like four months Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, before the pleadings are filed. And then uh, there's a progression order from the court setting, you know, when discovery will be done by when motions for summary judgment are due and when the anticipated um, hearing date is in the future. Okay. So typically a, a year at best, okay. sometimes several years. Okay. And then after that, there can be appeals and it goes on. So forever. there can be negotiations throughout that time. Oh yeah. Period. I mean, you can yeah. working towards settlement and sometimes, uh, that, that involves a little bit more. I can remember one of the cases that I was involved in as the assistant director, uh, we were working on technical elements of a, of a reasonable abatement. I think the the, the contest was originally filed because they were concerned about what the abatement required of them. And so we worked on that actually after they filed the contest letter for about six months and finally came up with a, a reasonable abatement and then they settled and everything was fine. Exactly. Yeah. So. yeah I've had those where everybody understands the solicitor's office understands we're, we're all going to slow walk this. Mm-hmm. So everybody's getting maximum extensions, right. you know, where both sides are saying, give us more time court, give us more right. time. Um, so that happens. But yeah, there's typically uh, when there's a contest, um, OSHA will, the OSHA attorney will um, look at the file, um, file the complaint, wait for the employer to file its answer. And then at that time, 
Um, the parties will exchange some basic documents and have a better idea what the facts are and the defenses and OSHA's ability to prove the case. And that's usually when serious settlement uh, negotiations begin. Okay. Um, we are running up on our hour, Randy. Is there any, any parting information, anything that you would care to offer? Um, I'm going to post your contact information on my website. Uh, so www.fletchersafety.com. I'm going to, uh, you know, your email address probably. I probably won't put your home phone number in there or anything. <laughs> but um, if people have additional questions or they need help, um, I'll give them a way to contact you. And, um, you know, if they do have additional questions, perhaps they can address those directly to you. Any any parting Perfect. messages? What do you suggest? I mean, Just be prepared, be obviously. Be prepared. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And like we said, I mean, from a macro standpoint, it's, Figure out what your hazards are. Try to address them. Gear up for a possible inspection because it'll probably right. happen. And yeah. if you do that, you're you're ahead of ninety nine point nine percent of the employers. That's out been there. my experience. Absolutely, the people that were prepared always fared better. It seemed to me. Yeah, man. Thank you very much for coming. It's always a pleasure. Um, I learn something every time, and I've learned something again this time. I probably heard you speak two dozen times, maybe over <laughs> the last twenty years, and I learn something every time. So. I truly appreciate that. Thanks for, I know your time is valuable, man. So I was glad thanks to be for here, coming man. in and enjoying me today. And thanks for doing this. Um, that's it today, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, keep up the good work, and we will be back in touch with you probably next week. A Parkville Media Production. <laughs>